Well, good morning, my brothers and sisters, my friends. I want to welcome you here together with us, and if you're watching online, we welcome you as well. Um, continuing on in our series in the book of Mark called Remarkable. Now, have you ever noticed, or I've noticed, and it's often in my life, that the, the best moments or times I've had with Jesus are often immediately met with the most challenging ones. And it's almost as if maybe those moments are preparing us for what is to come, for greater ministry and gospel outreach. Because after the mountain, there's a valley. And that's where we pick up our story today in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. It says this, that when they came to the other disciples, this is Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. And a man in the crowd said, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Now when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and he came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting, or just prayer, depending on your translation. The word of the Lord. So what we see here is Jesus, after being up on the mountain and having this kind of really cool moment, he's hanging out with Moses and Elijah, he, he hears his father speak his affirmation, his love, how proud he is of him. Then he, then he comes down and he's faced right away with the work of the enemy. And it's like Andrew was saying last week, the mountaintop is not a place designed for us to stay. That's not the way God designed it. Jesus didn't stay on the mountain. Jesus came down. Because there were people that needed him. And we don't stay on the mountain either because there's people that need Jesus and we have Jesus and we share him. So he came down to the, the nine remaining disciples and this 
large crowd of people, and he's wanting to know, what are you arguing about? What's going on here? And I find it interesting, you notice this, that none of the disciples answer him when he asks the question. No, there's a man in the crowd who steps forward, who comes forward. And in, in Matthew chapter 17, the other parallel account of this story, it tells us that this man kneels before Jesus. And he explains the situation. I brought you my son. He's possessed. It's robbed him of speech, seizes him, throws him on the ground. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. And in the Gospel of Luke, which has another account of this story, which I recommend you take a look at, it tells us that this is the man's only child, his only son. So this man is coming to Jesus and he's desperate. He's kneeling because his only son has seizures and he can't speak. Now these seizures here, they were caused by an unclean spirit. But I think I need to pause here and mention at this moment that not all seizures are caused by an unclean spirit. But in this case, they were. Now, we, we can see this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. It says that people were coming and bringing all kinds of people who needed healing to Jesus. And it says, they brought him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering from severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he, and he healed all of them. So here we see that sometimes seizures can be caused by an unclean spirit, and other times it's just not an unclean spirit. It's a human medical condition. Now, I mean, we as believers need to have discernment to know which is which because it's not super helpful to, teach, to treat something as spiritual as only physical. And it's not super helpful to te- treat something that's physical as only spiritual. Like, we need to have discernment and seek Jesus on knowing when it's which one. So in this case, we have seizures here that are caused by an unclean spirit. So back to the big argument. Now, if you think about this, these, these nine disciples who were left over, not the leftovers, they're not the leftover disciples. <laughs> they were without their leader. Jesus was up on the mountain, and they were, they were hanging down at the bottom. And they had gone out. Like, they had gone out, Jesus had sent them out, and they had cast out demons before. Like, remember, he sent them out, and they came back, and they were like, Jesus, the demons listened to us. And he's like, hey, settle down, guys. Like, that's not the greatest thing. Like, the greatest thing is that your names are in the book of life. Think about that. That's crazy. Um, So they've seen success here before. But but in this case, they failed. Now, why didn't it work? Why did they fail? Well, that's exactly what the teachers of the law are arguing with them about. Why they couldn't cast it out. Can you, can you just imagine that conversation with the teachers of the law being like, you didn't do it properly. You know, we have all our special ways. Oh, we've cast out demons like this before, you know. It's like, well, it's because you're untrained and you're impure, you fishermen, you know. Well, Jesus told us to do this. Well, Jesus, he's a false teacher, right? Or maybe they were saying things like, well, it's because of that father, that man, he's got sin in his life. This is a punishment on him and his boy. So while this argument is going on, where is the father of this boy? Where's the boy? They're right there. They're in that crowd. They're hearing all these things, all these useless words in condemnation. (laughs) About the boy's father, about the boy, about the disciples, about Jesus in whom he was seeking healing. I think sometimes... We care more about being right and proving our point 
than we actually do to care for someone who's hurting. When there's people who are hurting and their needs, they're right there, but then we get caught up in arguments about who's doing it right or who's doing it wrong or methodology. What the man had maybe done in order for the spirit to be tormenting him. But that's not what we see in Scripture. Philippians 2 says, don't look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Consider others more significant, more important than yourself. 1 Corinthians 13, famous passage. If I can do all these amazing things, but I have not love, I am nothing. And Ephesians 5, it looks at the example of Christ. Walk in love as Christ loved, and he gave up himself for us, for others. So do we care more about proving our point? Getting caught up in talking about what was right or wrong, or actually helping those we're hurting. And I think maybe that's part of why Jesus responds the way that he does, right? Like his, his response seems a, a little surprising, no? That, th- that this, this dad comes on his knees and explains the situation. He hears of the disciples' failure and he seems kind of unhappy, to say the least. Oh, unbelieving generation or faithless generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? How long do I have to endure you? Who is he talking to here? Who is he talking to? Who is he saying, oh, faithless generation? Is it disciples, the teachers of the law, the the dad? Well, I mean, if we look at the story, I I would say it's all of them. He calls them faithless or unbelieving and and we see that they all lacked belief in some sense. I mean, the father, the dad, he, he admits it. <laughs> He's like, yep. The teachers of the law, I mean, we know they didn't believe in Jesus. Some of them did, but for the most part, they were just trying to prove him wrong and argue with his disciples and get him to stop teaching. The disciples, well, we see in the other accounts of this story when they asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast it out? It's like, because of your lack of faith or your little faith. I mean, then he says to them, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, tiny little seed, you could say to this mountain, move into the sea, and it would. So we know that this statement of you of little faith is true to the disciples. I mean, the the, the statement, ye of little faith or you of little faith, Jesus uses it seven times throughout Scripture And it's predominantly directed towards the disciples. Now just think about that for a moment. I mean, maybe even take some comfort in that. That the guys who saw it all, who were there for it all, experienced it all, Jesus continually calls out, Oh, ye of little faith. Where is your faith? Why did you doubt? Makes me think about what Jesus said to Thomas. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So blessed are those, blessed are you who have not seen but yet believe. So Jesus asked this boy to be brought to him. So they're bringing the boy to him and on the way the spirit sees Jesus and it starts throwing a fit because it knows its time is up. 
The boy's rolling on the ground, seizing, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus starts a conversation with the dad. This strikes me pretty much every time I read this story. It's like, Jesus, bring the boy to me. He comes. This is all going on. I thought about like, maybe trying to like, act it out on stage, but I didn't think it would, it would be very nice. Um, but just to get our heads in that space of this is all going on, and Jesus is like, okay, Mr. Dad here, how long has this been happening? What's going on? Tell me about life with this for however many years you've had to deal with this. Jesus is showing that he's got care for this father when the rest of the crowd just ignored him, put him down, condemned him. He's entering into his grief and his struggles. Jesus really cares for the people, not not the crowd. See, but the demon didn't scare him. He wasn't nervous. In John 1, uh, 1 John 3, 8, actually, It says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus knew why he was here. He knew the authority he had. He came to destroy the works of the devil. I mean, if you look at any of the other stories in Scripture about Jesus dealing with the the demonic, he's not freaked out. He's calm. So he talks with the dad while this is all going on around him. How long has it been like this? Well, from childhood. So from childhood, this dad has been dealing with this. It often throws him into the fire or water to kill him. I mean, that's just a picture of John 10.10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his goal, to destroy this boy. And then we get this beautifully honest conversation from this dad. He's like, but if you can do anything, Take pity on us and help us. If you can. Jesus calls him out on it. He says, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately, this boy's father exclaims, I do believe, help my unbelief. Now just put yourself into this dad's position for a moment. For years, you've been dealing with this with your only son, whom you love dearly. I mean, and this is back in the day where it's like, they didn't have like fire grates. Like, there was fires all over the place. That's how they lived. There was a lot of opportunity for this to happen. He would have had to watch this child like a hawk. Can you imagine how exhausted he was? And he comes and and he's like, okay, this Jesus guy I've heard about. He comes seeking Jesus. He finds his disciples. He's like, okay, all right, can you help me? And they can't and they fail. I can understand his statement if you can. He's experienced some discouragement. But we see that he did have some faith because he came seeking Jesus. He found his disciples and it didn't exactly work out the way he thought it would. I don't know about you guys, but have you ever come to Jesus and it hasn't worked out the way that you hoped it would? or thought it would. He admits, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Help my faith. Are you or I ever going to have perfect faith in this life? No. Not till the new heaven and new earth. So, 
This boy's dad does something, though, that I think we can take a hint from. It's an example for us. For us to do when we experience that faith mixed with doubt. We cry out to Jesus. We cry out to Jesus, help our unbelief. We go to him. Did you notice at the end of the story when the disciples are asking, why couldn't we do this? Because, I mean, of course, they would be curious about this. And Jesus says, well, this kind only comes out by prayer or prayer and fasting or whatever your translation might say. The point is, of the passage is the same, whether, whatever translation it is. Um, it's about being connected to God, being connected to the Father. Because when we see Jesus here, Jesus, he casts out the demon. He doesn't pray or fast. He just casts it out. But it's because he was already connected to the Father. He just had come from this mount of transfiguration where the Father spoke these encouraging words and, and had this just time for him. He knew his identity. This is my son whom I love. He was connected. He knew. Do you know your identity? Do you know the love of the Father for you in your life? Do you walk in that? Do we operate out of that identity? I mean, because this is really what prayer is, right? When they're talking about prayer and fasting, it's like be connected to God. Prayer is the, is the conversation between you and God, between you and Jesus, to be connected to him, to see, how's it going? And the dad of this boy, he does that. He goes to Jesus in his need. It reminds me of a passage where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, remain in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. It's about being connected to Jesus. You see, it's not that the disciples lacked the power to cast out this demon. No, they just lacked the proper way to access it through Christ. The reason they failed is because they were trying to do it out of their own strength, out of their own power. I mean, I've seen that in my own life time and time again. Whenever I try to do something out of my own strength and my own power, it's like, why isn't this working? Because I don't have strength to do it. Isn't that the whole point <laughs> of Christianity? Is that we don't, but Jesus does? It's all about him. <laughs> his death, his resurrection, his power, his righteousness, his authority, his spirit working in us. There's, there was a time in my life where, where I had really felt like I had failed God. And what, and what he had asked of me to do. And, and as I was praying and, and kind of seeking him about it, I felt his spirit whisper through me. He says, what you fail at, I succeed. What we fail at, Christ succeeds. So we, we run to him. So we bring him our failures. We bring him our sin and our shame and our doubt because, I mean, this is real. It's not like you can hide it from him anyways, right? Like, he knows. He knows, and he still chose you. He knows all about you, the good, the bad, the ugly. 
and he loves you so deeply. So I don't know, maybe there's something today that you need to bring to Jesus. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's a failure. Maybe it's a sin, a doubt. Maybe it's a situation in your life. Maybe it's a person. What is it that you need to bring to Jesus to fill up maybe what you lack? Just take a moment now and ask him, Jesus, is there something I need to bring to you today? I don't know what it is, but Jesus does. And he is good and he is kind, so you can ask him, you can seek him for it. I don't, I don't know what it is that you're facing in your life. Maybe it's a mountain, maybe it's, maybe it's a giant or a situation that you feel like may be too great for you to endure. But I mean, this is, this is the best news that you and I could get. You don't need huge faith to face whatever it is that's coming your way or coming down your path. You only need the smallest of faith in the greatest of people. It was Jesus Christ. Now, I was trying to think of a good way to illustrate this, and so I, I went to math. There you go. So for all you math junkies out there, think of it like this. We serve a God who is infinite, right? What is 1% of infinity? I actually had to look it up because I was like, oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's infinity. What's like 0.001% of infinity? It's still infinity. That's how big our God is. So it's not about the size of your faith in God, but it's about the size of our God in whom we have faith. That's why he says, faith like a mustard seed. The smallest of faith can accomplish the greatest of things. Because it's Christ who does it. Maybe, maybe you don't have any faith today at all. Maybe you have, have a little bit, but you, you maybe want to grow it. This would be my advice to you is get to know Jesus. Get to know who he is. Because the more you know Jesus, the greater your trust in him will be. And then you can believe him for even greater things. Because that's what he says to the, to the dad here. He says, all things are possible for those who believe. All things are possible for those who believe. I mean, that's not just a statement for the dad or for the disciples or for the, the teachers of the law. That's, that's for us today as well. For those who believe all things are possible. So, I mean, this is, this is me. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Help fill up those spaces in my life. I need you. Every day, every moment. Because as soon as I try to do it on my own, I'm disconnecting myself from the vine. 
I need Jesus. There's one thing I want to point out about Jesus, a little hint at his character from this story, where we can see the compassion of him. First thing is that when Jesus sees that there is a crowd beginning to form, he's like, okay, this is enough. I don't want the crowd to be here for this because the father of that boy and that boy had suffered enough abuse from the crowd already. So Jesus says, no, get out, be gone, do not come again. Before the crowd comes and makes it a big spectacle. Because it wasn't about the spectacle. Jesus is saying, this is about these people here. You need to care for them. And do you, do you notice that, that Jesus also doesn't take that moment to be like, okay, disciples, this is a teaching moment here. Come around, let me show you how this is all going to go. No, he does that afterward privately. But in that moment, that's not what it was about. He's caring for that dad and that boy. I mean, also here we read, when they thought that boy was dead, it says, Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him to his feet. And in Luke 9, the other account of this story, it says, and he gives him back to his dad. Just this loving act of Jesus here. Jesus won't just stand around and argue <laughs> with others about what's going on in your life, no. He's there to care. Pour out his love and his grace over you and whatever it is that you're facing. So how can you get to know Jesus better so that we can trust him and believe him for even greater things? How can you get to know Jesus better? Why don't we ask him? Let's just take a moment and just ask him, Jesus, how can I get to know you better this week? I don't know what it is for you. During the first, first service, I felt him saying, hey, I want to sing together with you. And I was like, hey, that's awesome. And then now he's like, he added dancing together with him. And that one might be a little bit of a stretch for me. Although, we have dance parties as a family all the time at home. So Jesus will invite you into that. But whatever it is, whatever Jesus maybe may have brought to your mind of what he wants to do with you this week, actually take some time to do it. Get to know him better. Get to know him better because he is so good. He's been so good to me. <laughs> I know he can be for you too. Let's take a moment and pray. Father God, oh, Almighty One, we thank you so, so much that you love us, you care for us so deeply. 
God, for even those, those small things that we think that don't really matter to you, they do. Every little bit in our lives matters to you, God, and you care. We thank you so much for that. We thank you so much for this story. It just shows us who Jesus is more and more. Lord, I pray that, that this week we would take that time to spend time with you, to get to know you more. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I pray you would bless them with your spirit, with your love and your peace and your grace just poured out over their heads. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. Um, there might be something that you need to bring to Jesus that he may have brought to mind. And sometimes we need help bringing things to Jesus. So we have some people that up at the front here, our prayer team, that would just love um, to pray with you, whatever it is, whatever situation, person, issue that, that you feel you need to bring to Jesus. Yeah, we'd love for you to take advantage of that. Um, also, north half, which is this section over here, we have a pizza fellowship section lunch gathering for you. Sorry, guys. Next week, you guys get to, to fellowship together after the service. But we invite you guys to enjoy some pizza and fellowship with us after the service today. Uh, I want to close with this verse, so everyone stand for this last verse we read. I wasn't going to end with this verse because I always end with it or often I end with it, but then in my prayer with the Lord, he's like, nope, end with this one. So this is it from Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 20. It goes like this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church Jesus Christ, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in the love of God.